Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Isn't this the best day ever? Yeah. It is the best day ever. Easter Day is the best day ever. It's the greatest day in history. One of the songs that we sing. And it's just amazing. How many of you have seen something this Easter that you were not really expecting to see? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Some people perhaps have. Okay. Anybody wishing they could unsee something that they saw <laughs> earlier today? We love doing daft things, crazy things like that sometimes in church. And we've done it before. A few years ago, we went to Gorton Monastery. Some of you were there. Hands up if you were at Gorton Monastery years ago. And we did some things in there. And one of the things we did at Easter, we had like uh, in the middle of the talk, we had, I got custard pie in the face and somebody found an iPod or something underneath their seat. Don't worry, we're not doing that today. Don't go looking. And, um, and then at the end, I, I said, you know, so there's a point to it, by the way, because the point of that one was just because... It seems unbelievable doesn't mean you can't believe it. Just because it seems impossible doesn't mean that it is actually impossible. And, you know, it's impossible until somebody's done it. And as soon as, it's, as, soon as that person's done it, you just redefine impossible. And God is in the habit of redefining impossible, isn't he? So something that we think is unbelievable you can still believe. And uh, I, I was doing that and I did the talk and then I said, this is as, you know, the whole idea that somebody would die and rise again is as unbelievable, is as ridiculous, is as impossible as the idea that in the middle of the talk, uh, in the middle of my talk, a, a 12 foot tall woman would come walking through the middle of the talk. And then as I said that, my son Joel thought, oh no, dad's lost it. <laughs> he's like, he's gone a bit too far because he just said something ridiculous. But then I was rescued because the lady called Naomi was in the church who happens to be amazing on stilts. And then she just suddenly came through from the back and walked all the way through and sort of waved and just went off to the side. So it's like, just don't think it can't happen because we're in the habit of being surprised. And um, just because it's unexpected doesn't mean you can't believe it. Just, it doesn't mean that it's impossible. You didn't expect to see the world's greatest escapologist just turn up all the way here and come all the way from Russia to Manchester, did you? <laughs> Nobody expected that. <laughs> Weeks after the first Easter, crowds gathered, some of them numbering the same people that had put Jesus on the cross and celebrated as he died. Those people gathered and they were just ordinary people, but they were also priests and there were Pharisees there and people like that. And a guy called Peter stood up, who, as you remember the story, had run away because he was so scared. But now he stands up, bold as a lion, after the cross, because Jesus is alive and because he's seen him and because he's met with him and that changes absolutely everything. And in fact, he says the resurrection redefines impossible. And he quotes from the Bible to them to say what happened fulfilled everything that God wrote would happen in the Old Testament and all these things that he promised, he showed that he can do when Jesus rose from the grave. And then he said, I'll tell you what's impossible. He said, it was impossible that death could hold him. That's what's impossible. He's, he's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He's the prince of life. It was impossible that death could hold Jesus in the grave. 
Jesus himself said, nobody takes my life from me. I'm going to lay it down as like a ransom, as the payment, as the price, so that we who sin could be forgiven. He said, I'm going to lay my life down and I've got power to take it back up again. And Jesus predicted the exact, the exact time, the exact manner of his death, where it would happen, how it would happen, when it would happen in detail. And he pointed to scriptures written hundreds and thousands of years before. And he said, because God already promised it, I'm going to fulfill all of those prophecies, all of those promises. He said, I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to put me on the cross. But on the third day, I will rise again. I get excited when I said that. On the third day, he said, I'm going to rise again. And even though he told them all, the disciples were like, is this like a parable? Is this one of these stories that he tells us? You know, is he, is he in some figurative way going to kind of die? And then is there going to be like some sort of spiritual thing that he's going to do that's going to be like he, he rises again from the dead? They, they didn't expect it to really happen. Nobody expected he would really be crucified. Nobody expected that. That's why they were all petrified and legged it and ran off. Nobody expected that he would really die. They must have kept thinking all the time he's on the cross. In a minute, any time now, surely he's going to, you know, he, he can do miracles. He can walk on water. We've seen him feed 5,000 people with fish butties. He can do anything. Surely he's just going to call angels and they're going to come and set him free and, and the, all these people who are mocking him are going to see it. And, and he didn't. And they were like, Wow. And they were like, they had all this hope. And suddenly he died and hope died. And they were like, that was the end of it. Gospel of John in chapter 20 tells us on that very first Easter Sunday morning, while it was still dark. So, you know, I don't know how early you got up this morning and whether you managed to remember about doing your clock. But Mary Magdalene got up really early in the morning, one of Jesus' closest friends. And she went to the tomb, to the actual tomb, where Jesus had been buried, which had been given to him by a rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea in this private garden. And this was the place. And there was this huge stone that was rolled in front of the grave. And when she got there, the huge stone had been rolled away and she had no clue what had happened and why that was, why the stone had been rolled away. So she didn't know what to do. So she ran off to go and get help. And she went to a, you know, a couple of men Peter and John, and they were equally clueless. In fact, probably more so. And they ran and they were like, I don't know what's happened. And maybe somebody stole the body or something like that. And they went and hid again. And then she came back. It's a brave, brave thing to do. She came back and she's thinking, maybe grave robbers took him. And I don't know, but I can't let them just desecrate his body. I've got to do something. I don't even know what I'm going to do. But she went back to the garden and there it says that she bent down into the tomb, into the cave, it was like a cave, and she looked in, peered in, and she saw two figures dressed in white. And later on, she figured out they must be angels. And they were, one of them was sitting where Jesus' head would have been, and one where his feet would have been. And they said, woman, why are you crying? And Mary said, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. Does that sound like somebody who's expecting the resurrection to have happened? Is this like, does it sound like somebody who's thinking, oh, I know, we'll have a plot and we'll steal the body and we'll do it. No, not at all. This is somebody who didn't have a clue. She's just grieving. She's sad. She's lost. She's lonely. She doesn't know what to think and what to do. And then she straightened up, turned, and as she turned, she saw somebody that she assumed was the gardener. It was actually Jesus. She didn't recognize him. 
when she saw him. Why would that be? Why would she not recognize Jesus? She'd been with him for years. You might be thinking, well, have you ever seen somebody who's been really badly beaten up? When I was in the police, I saw some people who got really badly beaten up, really badly assaulted, and they can look totally different. The face just goes all over the place. I myself, when I was in the police, when I was off duty, when I was 21, I got really badly beaten up outside a nightclub in Manchester. And uh, there's like this gang of lads who clocked me as an off-duty police officer and they all surrounded me and I got battered by these guys. And it literally is true, when you wake up the next morning, my mother would not have recognised me. My nose was broken, my face was all over the place, it was swollen and, and bruised and battered and, and, you know, just blood dried all over me. I didn't look like the same person. I looked in the mirror, I could hardly make out my own features because everything just swelled up. Jesus took a far worse beating than that on Good Friday. He was beaten up by a platoon of soldiers and then they got a crown of thorns and he whacked it in place with a stick. Imagine doing that to Jesus. Knocked it on, because they didn't want to hurt their hands, so they bashed it on with a stick. But Jesus knew it would all happen. In fact, the Old Testament predicted it would happen and why it would happen. In Isaiah chapter 52, this prophet looking into the future, looking at what God would do. He said, people would look at the Messiah and they would be, I'll quote, appalled at him because his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. He said, he was despised and re rejected by men, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. It's like, you're gonna, you can't even look at his face. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. So the last time Mary saw him, he was just unrecognisably beaten. Why? Why did it happen? Well, Isaiah goes on and he says, it was for us. He says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Now, so as I say, this might be unexpected to you today. You might be visiting, you might be new to all of this and you're really welcome if that's the case. This is a great day to be able to come and check out the church. And it may come as a surprise to you, and it did come as a surprise to those first followers, but they didn't expect to meet with Jesus, but he was alive, so they did. And you may not have come in here expecting to meet with Jesus, but he's alive, so you can. See, we don't just sing about him as somebody in history that we admire. This is somebody people are meeting with today. That's why tonight we're going to have baptisms. We're going to have a whole group of people who've had their lives turned around because they're meeting Jesus Christ and nothing's the same when that happens. And we're going to celebrate that and Ivy Didsbury's going to be packed out and full and it's going to be amazing. Because when you turn your life around to Jesus, he changes everything. And whether you actually yet believe that Jesus Christ rose on that first Easter Sunday or not, we, at least we have the idea of somebody rising from the dead. We know it's not really just about chocolate eggs and bunnies and getting a new sofa in the sale. <laughs> Even though that's what the shops want to tell you it's all about. The first Easter though, Mary had no idea. Imagine that. You never heard that Easter was about Jesus rising from the dead. That's where she was at. You don't go to the graveyard expecting to meet the person that you said goodbye to, do you? You don't expect that. She just goes to the tomb because grief took her there. That was the only reason. And the Romans set a guard, not because they believed that Jesus would rise again, but because they'd heard that he said that he would. And so to guard the tomb for a little while, they said, let's put the Roman seal over it. Nobody, if anybody breaks that seal, it's like they've broken uh, faith with Caesar and they can be executed. They sealed up the tomb. 
but they didn't anticipate, nobody anticipated that Jesus would actually rise from the dead. There was nothing like that in anybody's mind. The Jews believed, you see, that at the end of time, there will be this thing called the general resurrection when everybody who ever lived will rise and be judged by God. That was their expectation at the end of time. But nobody thought it would ever happen in the middle of time, not to a single individual person. They didn't have a category for that. And then she turns and she asks this man that she assumes is the gardener. He looks at her and perhaps with a twinkle in his eye, he says, one word, what's the word? Mary, her name. And you know, like, there's somebody that you love and you know really well and you don't even have to ask when they ring on the phone who it is because you just know the name. She's like, oh, Jesus, it's you. And she hugs him because she's a hugger. Hands up if you're a hugger. Okay, hands up if you're a bit uncomfortable around huggers. All right, huggers, stand up and I want you to embrace your spiritual gift and give somebody a happy Easter hug right now. Come on, everybody stand up. Happy Easter, happy Easter hugs. Okay, this is not the time to ask somebody for a date. Everybody take your seats again. Some people are enjoying that far too much. <laughs> but this is the best day ever. And she's like overcome because she's met Jesus and she hugs him and she's embracing him. And then, but how long do you think it took for that turn to happen? Just that turn, that one or two seconds maybe is all it takes for it to happen. But something happened in that realisation of that moment as she turned. What happened? Everything happened. The whole world changed in the moment that she turned. It really did. I don't know if you ever realised this, but as Mary turned and realised that Jesus is who he says he is and he can do what he said he could do, and he really is the Son of God and he was really alive, in that moment, as she turned, it was like the whole world turned on its axis slightly. Everything changed. The world went from BC to AD because of JC in that moment. As she turned, everything turned. The time went from... B BC to Anno Domini, to the year of our Lord. Did you know this is the year of the Lord, 2016? If you didn't know that, it can be for you today. All you've got to do today is say, Lord, I want you to be my Lord. And this becomes the day of the Lord and this becomes the year of the Lord for you. I'd love it if this was the year of the Lord for you. Mary's tears turned to joy. That's what happened. One second before she's there, she's, she's just wrung out with grief. She's hopeless. She's depressed, she's agonising, looking into, the, into a grave, looking into a cave in the cruel face of death. A second later, Mary is receiving, enjoying the highest possible human experience of joy that you could ever imagine. It happened in an instant as she turned because now she's standing in the presence of one who just conquered death. Mary was the very first person in history to see Christ risen from the dead. Can you imagine the joy that she felt? If you come along, as I say tonight, to the baptism services at Ivy Didsbury, you're going to discover people still meeting the same Jesus get the same joy. Is that true? Yeah. It, it really is true. 
People who do the Alpha course to find out about Christianity, to find out what it means. They come and they do the course and they find out, they ask their questions, no question that you can't ask, and they get fed and they have a great time, but then they get joy happening to them. It kind of catches up on them. And everybody's looking for joy in life. That time when I got beaten up outside that club in Manchester, I wasn't, I wasn't a Christian. I, wasn't, I was just living totally for myself. I was actually this cynical, sullen, hard-fighting, hard-working, hard-drinking young copper who thought he was it. And I was looking for... The most important thing to me was to be cool. I wasn't cool, but I was trying to be cool. I thought I was indestructible until that moment. I, years before, had believed in the existence of some kind of God, but then I ditched him. Do you know why I ditched him? Because I thought that he would just try and spoil my fun. I thought that I could find a better way of joy in my life than the way that God could do it. And so I, I kind of ditched the idea of God and made myself God. But after that scary experience, I met somebody called Zoe. And she gave me a Bible and I started to read it for myself instead of believing what other people had said about it. And suddenly, I haven't got time to tell all the details, but everything started to change in my life for the better. And then driving to work one day, I met with Jesus Christ in the most real way, as real as I could meet any of you here. Everything changed at that moment in my life. I met him personally and he turned my life around. Best day ever. Best day ever. And one of the biggest surprises I got was this massive joy that I got that I'd been trying to look for in clubs. I'd been trying to look for in sex. I'd been trying to look for in all kinds of drinking and madness and violence and everything. I didn't get joy in any of that kind of a life. Then I met Jesus and everything changed. I find myself walking the same beat in Cheetah Mill, singing some of the songs that we sang in church. I was like, it was amazing. No, I'm not saying my singing was amazing. It was amazing that I was singing. I was like the singing policeman of Cheatham Hill, walking around like this just joy and everybody started to see what's happened to you. I didn't have to manufacture it. It was something on the inside because a revolution happened. Did you know that what Jesus did, the resurrection means re revolution. It really does. It's about a revolution. It's about a revolution. Do you think the world at the moment could do with a revolution of hearts and minds being changed? As we look at what's going on in the news, the world is ready for a revolution. A love revolution of hearts and minds being changed. Well, that's what Jesus came to do and that's what the church is meant to do together with him. It wasn't just so some people who are a bit religious could go to a place on a Sunday morning and all that. No, it's meant to be a revolution that Jesus brought. Resurrection brings revolution. And revolution is a form of the word repent, which gets a bit of a bad press because we think of people standing with like a billboard outside somewhere looking all miserable saying, repent for the end is nigh. That's what we think it means. But actually, it's a beautiful word. Repent, it literally means turn around, revolve. In those days, if you were in the army, if you were in like the Roman army and you were marching one way and the, and the command came, repent, do you know what you would do? About turn. That's what they did. And that's what happens. You, God wants to turn your life around and turn it back to him. And everything changes for the better when that happens. And there's no better time to do that than on Easter Day. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to, to pray and, and to, to say to me and to say to God, I want to start that journey. I want to turn my life around this Easter day and I want to find out and I want to follow Jesus Christ. So Mary's hugging Jesus, overwhelmed with joy. And he says, don't hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Is he your God? Is he? Four people, yeah. Is he your Father? 
Whatever your earthly father was like, you have got a perfect, wonderful heavenly father. You've got the father of Jesus who wants to be your father. He wants to introduce you to his father. He wants to adopt you into his family. So Mary runs and she finds Jesus' boys are all petrified still, hiding in his bunker, scared to death. And she goes to them. She says, I have seen the Lord. But they didn't believe her because nobody expected it. Nobody thinks he's going to rise from the dead. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. That can't happen. But later that same day, John, who's the eyewitness of all these things, who writes them down for us, he said Jesus suddenly appeared in the room, in the middle of all those disciples. Not because he was less real than the walls, because he was some kind of ghost, no. But because he was more real than the walls. He walks into them, in the middle of them, he says, peace be with you. He gives them peace. And you can read all about that in the OMG booklet that I wrote that we were giving out earlier. And there's all kinds of proofs of the resurrection that I could give you and list for you. But you know what? The biggest proof, one of the biggest proofs for me is this, the change that happened in those disciples. Because when they turned to God, when they turned back to Jesus, they turned to courage. From wimps to world changers. From fearful to fearless. And Jesus is still doing that today. Isn't he? Jesus is doing exactly the same thing. People who are scared become brave and do amazing things for God that they were scared to do before because Jesus is alive and they know that he's with them. So these, this Jesus started to appear to these people in crowds, big and small, individuals and couples walking on roads would meet with Jesus. And they couldn't deny that that had happened. So they ended up getting martyred themselves. They got tortured and they wouldn't say it didn't happen because they knew it had happened. They couldn't deny what their own eyes had seen and what their hands had touched. And, you know, he made, he made breakfast for them. Amazing. It makes all the difference to how courageous you are when you know that Jesus is alive. When you know Jesus is alive and that he's with you. And they go from these people who are crying and scared again and terrified into being these really brave people. And I'll tell you what, it isn't just about changing courage in life, it's courage in death too. I've done hundreds of funerals over the years. I can't count how many funerals I've done. And you can really tell the difference when it's somebody who knows Jesus Christ and they know who they're going to. They know where they're going. They know who they're going with. I've walked away from hospital beds with some people and I've, I've wept with them and prayed for them and they've been like, I don't know where I'm going and, and they're just scared. And I've went, gone away from different hospital beds with different people and it's still hard and it's still painful and we're still going to grieve but we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we know this life is going to continue with Jesus Christ and death is not the end for us. It's just the new beginning into something even better. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though he die, yet will he live. And I believe that. Does anybody else? Yeah. I believe that is really true. And Jesus proved it. And when you connect with him, he gives you new joy and he gives you new courage in life and in death. And where else, tell me, where else are you going to get that? Nowhere else from nobody else. And finally, when you turn and make Jesus your Lord, your Saviour, you get a new vision to make the world a better place. You know, there's all kinds of things you can think, what's the proof that you're a Christian? It isn't about whether you come to church. It's great if you do, we'd love you to come. It's not about whether you sing loud and you know all the words of the songs or anything like that. It's not that, those aren't the proof. Here's a real proof for me. People who meet with Jesus want to change the world. They want to join him in making the world a better place. Remember Mary assumed when she met him that it was the gardener. And she was kind of wrong. But a writer called N.T. Wright, 
He says, actually, in a way, she was kind of right because Jesus is a gardener. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, when you open it up, it talks about a man called Adam being born. And the job that he was given was to be a gardener, was to work on the world and to bring paradise where there was just chaos. To, to push the garden out and make it bigger. But as you know, he turned away from God, turned to himself as being God instead, and it just became a mess. And as a result of that, the New Testament calls Jesus the second Adam. It's like now he's come so that the whole world will flourish again. What does a gardener do? Changes the landscape, brings a harvest. Jesus' death and resurrection broke the power of sin and death and unleashed, unleashed a new hope for this whole planet, for the whole universe, in fact. It's not just about an individual decision to become a Christian. It's about something Jesus has done that changes the whole universe forever. And when people really meet him, like I say, you can really tell, this is how you can really tell, because they want to become part of his revolution and they want to help to change the world for the better too. They get a new vision to push back poverty, to fight injustice. They, they see what's important in their life differently in terms of how they spend their time and their energy and their efforts. They, they get a new cause that they never had before and it comes from God. He shares a little bit of his heart with them. Now, if you were a person who was living in the first century Roman Empire at the time of Jesus, in just about any city, you wouldn't have to go far outside the city and you'd find a rubbish dump. In fact, Jesus was crucified on the rubbish dump. This stinking place outside Jerusalem's walls. And among the stink, among the scavenging dogs, you'd find discarded babies. You would find unwanted children. Because in those days, Across the Roman Empire, it, it wasn't a problem. It was not, wasn't unlawful, it wasn't even frowned upon. If you didn't want that child, you just did what was called exposure. You would leave the child to die on the rubbish dump outside. Some people could come along and pick it up. So people did. Slave owners would go and they would get those children and they would bring them and they would make them slaves and they would be slaves all of their lives. Other, other people would come. Brothel owners would come and they would collect those children and they would bring them to their brothels and they would make them sex slaves for life. This was the reality of life that Jesus came into. It's pretty much the same today. <coughs> History records something massive happened, started to happen just about the time that Jesus' followers started to spread out across the empire. These followers of this man called Jesus, they would go to those rubbish dumps, they would go to those children, they would go to those babies. And do you know what they did? They adopted them into their own families. They took them and brought them into their own homes. They would go to the dumps and they would retrieve little boys and little girls and raise them as their own. When hungry people in the first century knocked on the doors of Christians and, they, and if the Christians would share their food with them and if they didn't have enough food to share with somebody, you know what they did? They would fast until they did. And then they would share their food with those people. In the year AD 250, it's estimated that 10,000 Christians fasting 100 days a year gave 1 million meals to the poor. When all the pagans ran away because plagues came to those cities, Christians would go in at the risk, obviously, of catching the disease themselves, and they would nurse people, not just their own family, they would nurse and help anybody, who they, even though they were dying, because they would say things like, you know what, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Everything changed because of the resurrection. And that's how the Jesus revolution spread so rapidly because it's like nothing else that history had ever seen. And wherever you still get people who get that same kind of love and that same kind of vision going on, 
then it, the, the Jesus revolution is still going to keep on spreading and making a difference. And Jesus Christ is still coming to ordinary people like you and me. And he's still giving us new joy, new courage and a new vision. And today you can do a revolutionary act by sponsoring a child at Easter with Compassion UK in Haiti. Loads of us do that here at Ivy. I've brought with me the picture, it's over there, of, of one of the kids that I sponsor. It's the pastor's son from the, uh, the project out there in Haiti. Sam, he's a lovely little lad. You can change their world. You can change their whole world. Children who I can tell you from being up there, up close and personal, will otherwise have no more hope than those children had on the rubbish dumps because they live in those kind of places now 2,000 years on. But Jesus came to change their world as well as to change your world. And this is how it happens. When people who've had their world changed decide that they want to become world changers too. I'm going to watch a video. And uh, so Danielle Strickland, who's spoken here before, is a friend of ours. She was out in Haiti just the week before and she um, filmed this video about meeting her sponsored child. These kids just love you. It's amazing. You know, if you do this, I, I hope you write back to them. We write, Zoe's a lot better at it than I am, but sometimes I'll even write to them. And you get these letters back and these kids just love to be sponsored because they know you've rescued them in all kinds of ways. So Danielle's going to speak to us about Haiti and the difference it makes for you to sponsor a child today. And uh, then I'll come back. But, uh, you know, what she says is extreme poverty for her makes her angry, but not kind of angry as so much at governments, and all that, but angry because of the sense in which this is stuff that could be stopped. This is things that, that we can do something about. And, and, it, and she wants to channel that kind of anger and that frustration into something positive that will actually help. And she's, and she's done that by sponsoring this child called Emerson. And, um, I, you know, I just urge you, well, there's 50 kids today that we've brought the pictures of. You don't have to go through and pick one that's beautiful. They're all beautiful. They're all fantastic kids. And they're all waiting for somebody, one at a time, to be able to pick one up and say, I will give £25 a month and I will help that child. And you will save that child in every way it's possible to be saved. You'll have a picture of them. You'll get pictures from them. You'll be able to keep in touch with them. You'll be able to send them stuff online. You'll be able to give them presents. It makes such a huge difference. When we went out to Haiti, me and Zoe, we just see these kids and you see them grow and you see them flourish and you know this would not have happened. This just wouldn't have happened without people sponsoring them. They, they need that kind of help. So what better thing to do this Easter? Maybe you could sponsor one for one of your children if you have children. We've done that for our kids over the years. We've said, here's the present, you know, for your birthday or whatever. Rather than us getting something for you, just getting something for you, we want you to have a, a brother, effectively. We want you to have a sister that you can connect with too. And it helps them to see, it's not all about me, which is a great message for kids to be able to get these days. So we have this church-to-church -church partnership. It's in Leogan. If you're looking for the worst, most hardest place to be able to go and help people, go to Leogan. It's in already the, the poorest place in the Western Hemisphere. And then they had floods. Then they had an earthquake. Then they've had more floods. It was the, the epicenter of that earthquake. It was the worst possible part of that. Six years on, only just beginning to be rebuilt. And as Justin said earlier, we've been privileged to be able to be a part of, of helping to do that. So that's the project that most of these kids are from. They're all from Haiti. So as you go out, I really encourage you, go, don't go downstairs, go to the mezzanine. In fact, talk to God about it. Say to him, what do you think? Could I do this? 
Can you make room in your life? Can you make room out of your bank account to be able to help to rescue and, and save a child? You'll never regret that. I spend all kinds of money I wish I hadn't spent. Never regret 25 pounds a month that's gonna go and help those kids. Okay, so we stand up. I'd like you to just, actually, just turn. Just turn to that wall. Because remember, there's a turn that takes place in our lives. Lord, thank you that we can turn to you. Just think about Mary meeting with Jesus. That he's alive. She didn't expect it, but wow, there he is. And in a minute, we're going to turn and pray. But think about it. Isn't there an area in your life you need joy? In the presence of Jesus, joy comes. Is there an area that you need courage? Do you need to be brave today? Meeting Jesus gives you courage to face anything because you'll never have to face it alone. He's with you. He's alive. And then there's a new vision, which is bigger than me, which is all about what he wants to do in the world. And if you want to, if you're ready to, why don't you just turn and face the front? Lord Jesus, we thank you for Easter. Thank you that you call us one life at a time to turn our life around, to about turn and face you. And you are the risen king. You're alive. You reign and you rule. There's nothing that's impossible because of you. So Lord, this Easter, we give you our praise and we give you our thanks and we give you our worship. I just want to ask a question. And we're talking about being brave. If there's somebody here, maybe even just one person brave enough to do it. Today, you kind of walked in here and you didn't really know this was what Easter was all about. You didn't know you could meet with Jesus, but you want to. And, you, and, and, you, and I'd love to pray for you if that's you now. You're going to meet with Jesus in a real way. If you are up for that, put a hand up so I can see you and I can pray for you. Anybody put a hand up now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Thank you that you're here and you're real. Thank you that you're alive. You're still meeting with us. And we want to celebrate you this Easter. We want you to change our lives so that then together with you we can change the world. Amen. Great. Um, Lisa's going to come and lead us in, in worship and then after that we're going to be going. Yeah, there's these um, cards that are all over the place. You've got them when you were coming in and there's more if you want them. Just ask at the information stand. It's got yes, no, alpha. There's your choices really. Yes, I want to follow Jesus Christ. You can fill in those details. We'll send you a book that I've written to help you to understand what that means. No? Okay. No, that's fine. We, nobody, God doesn't chase anybody. Just pray that one day you'll come back and realise how amazing he is that you're not God and he is. An alpha is like an opportunity to be able to find out, find out more. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.